Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about slow living in a fast world. My name is Brooke McCallery. My name is Ben McCallery and welcome to episode three of this, whatever season this is. <laughs> Six or seven. Well, there's a, bit of a, there's a bit of a, um, a tagging issue or something, I think. In iTunes it says it's season seven. But it's actually season, season six. six. And that's because of our summer series. Anyway, none of that is of any importance to Just anyone. another episode coming at you. Yeah. In this sort of ad hoc way that we've decided to go with this season. Because, I mean, I guess as everyone knows, it is not business as usual at the moment. So this season is uh, a little more fluid yeah. than previous seasons. We're just going to release them when we record them. Well, yeah, because we're recording them like at a time that the conversation is important, you know. So like I think I said at the beginning of the season, I'm not going to sit on these just to stick to a schedule. I'd like to get the information into into your ears. Because it's relevant and current and definitely the today's guest fits oh, man, the yes. bill perfectly. You speak to Sarah, who is a teacher. I do. An Australian teacher. Yes. So Sarah sent me an email maybe the first week of the school holidays, maybe the last week of school term, offering, just sort of giving a, a bit of her background. She's a high school science teacher at an independent school in Sydney, but also has a tutoring background and sort of offered her time and her expertise for people who listen to the podcast who might be struggling a bit with remote learning or the expectations of schools or the expectations of Instagram as to what any of this looks like. Mm. And I jumped at the chance to speak with her, partly because like there's a lot of people listening who really are in that position right now. I know that uh, some schools in Australia have just started remote learning. I know our kids' schools will go back next week. Yeah, some some you know, states are already back. Yeah, yeah so, so it's very very relevant. It's very to, relevant. To, to the um yeah. but also I wanted to talk to Sarah because she's a high school teacher and our experience has always been younger kids and that's what we speak about. So we we dig into all of that. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about how to best advocate for your kids if you feel that the workload is too much or if they're struggling. We also talk about how to deal with not having enough tech devices in the house, mm. how to make some of this learning more analog rather than... That's what we need. Well, yeah, I think yeah. everyone needs it. Yeah. You know, I think that the expectation is something like kids will be sitting on a screen for, for the day and that's not working for a lot of people. So, uh, you know, we talk about that. And also Sarah just gives some really, like, really heartening advice to anyone who's struggling. Uh, we also talk about the, the kids who are doing their HSC or their final years of, of high school because that's the challenges that they're facing and that their parents are totally, totally different, different again. Totally different. What about the kids are doing sitting the HSC or the, the final exams yeah, this year? Yeah, we do talk about that a bit this year. Amazing. Uh, in this, this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's Yeah, it's fantastic. So I just want to publicly thank Sarah for putting her hand up and getting in touch because it, it was wonderful for me and I hope that people listening will find a lot of really helpful information in it too. She's also sent through a, a short list of links and resources that parents or guardians might find really helpful uh, in these coming weeks and months that I will link to in the show notes. So there's a, there's a, a letter from a school principal mm. kind of encouraging families to reduce their expectations of what this oh, period great. looks like, that'd which be... is really nice to yeah. read, yeah. Um, plus a page of resources that can be really helpful. 
head over to slowyourhome.com slash season six for the show notes to this podcast and those resources. Hey, I wanted to uh, I wanted to give the final call mm. to Slow Beginnings, the online retreat, which begins in a matter of days. So it kicks off on the 26th of April. So if you're listening to this when it's released, you've got a couple of days maybe. Yep. But if you're listening to it when that date has passed, 26th of April 2020, and you're keen to know about the retreat, just Join, make sure that you're on the list for the slow post, which yep. is my weekly um, slow living love letters. And you're always going to be the first people to find out when it relaunches. But yes, if you're listening to it live, I would, and you're interested, obviously, I would love to have you join us. We've got a really wonderful group of people who are ready to, to um, sort of dig in for six weeks to what slow living is and how it applies to them and their lives. And, uh, you know, I think it's a timely mm opportunity to do it if you're able, uh, because we're really all in a position of rethinking and reframing what we want our lives to look like going forward. And essentially, that is what slow living is a call to do. Figure out what's important, figure out how to put it at the center of your life every day in some capacity. So if you're keen to know more uh, about the, the retreat, there is a full week by week curriculum breakdown over at slowyourhome.com slash beginnings. <laughs> And you can find out more about that and, uh, you know, secure your spot as well. So hopefully I will see you there. Absolutely. But for now, enjoy this episode where Brooke talks to Sarah. Well, Sarah, hello. How are you? I'm well. Hi, Brooke. How are you going? So well. Um, really well. I always feel a bit guilty when I say that at the moment, but I'm, I'm doing well. Today's a good day. I don't think you need to feel guilty. The, the more people that are coping well and, you know, doing okay in this time, the better. So good That's, job. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, I'm actually incredibly happy to be talking to you as well because you did something which has made my job so much easier. You emailed me a couple of weeks ago after listening to a, an episode of the podcast and basically volunteered your expertise. Now, you're a high school teacher and you essentially said that you wanted to offer any kind of help or insight or practical advice to parents or carers who are homeschooling or remote schooling with kids at the moment. And I seized upon that opportunity with two very grateful hands. And here you are. <laughs> no worries. Oh, it's, it's, I think at the moment we're all kind of sitting at home uh, thinking of ways that we can contribute and, you know, make things a little bit easier for other people. So because I've been listening for such a long time and had felt that I'd benefited from so many other people, I thought it might be just about time to put my hand up in case it was useful. So, Well, I appreciate it enormously. And I know for a fact that there's a lot of people listening who will appreciate it too, because this is one of the struggles that it's not universal. Not everyone is finding themselves having to struggle through, um, you know, homeschooling versus working from home versus striking a balance and all of that. But a lot of people are and a lot of people listening to the podcast are. So really what I want to do is dig into your expert brain and look at some practical ways of perhaps making this new dance a little less stressful for everyone. Sure. So um, you are a high school teacher. Yes. Yep. And I guess I'm curious to start there because I often talk about uh, my kids, at least in very general terms, who are both in primary school. And I think that at the moment, the reality for parents of kids in high school versus parents of kids in primary school is, is a little different. So first of all, 
in your experience, are there kind of differences in the way that parents can frame their experience of remote schooling with their kids based on their ages? Absolutely, yeah. I think for younger kids, because the nature of what they're doing in school is much more, I suppose, physical and it shouldn't be. I mean, in high school, we should be doing just as much outdoor learning and um, interactive play as primary school, but that's, you know, something on the list that we're changing all the time. But yeah, I think the the nature of it is that high school students, because of their attention spans being a bit longer and generally the expectations being a little bit higher, um, they're a little bit more used to having to sit at a desk for a, a longer period of time and they understand that they need to finish certain work and hand it in and be assessed on it and, you know, all of those expectations are a little bit clearer to high school students, whereas for primary school students, there's still, I feel that, that huge element of, you know, we come to school for like quite a lot of fun and <laughs> not too much stress and, and you know, lots of social activity, which is, of course, the same for high school. I think you kind of get the distinction I'm making here. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the shift for primary school students has been quite difficult, but for different reasons. Uh, everybody misses the lack of social interaction, but I think um, the teachers for primary school kids haven't been able to kind of craft those experiences quite as well. Whereas for us in high school, I think maybe because our resources are you know, set up slightly differently, we are able to transition online just that little bit easier. At least that's been my experience. And because the kids on the other side have longer attention spans, better understanding of maybe how to submit work and all that sort of thing, I think they've found it ever so slightly easier as well, with the exception of maybe your your real senior students who um, have their HSC, et cetera, on the horizon and are quite nervous about what that involves as well. Yeah. I mean, my heart goes out to kids in senior, senior classes this year. It must be really, really difficult for them because it's a stressful time anyway. Yeah. Uh, Do you have any specific advice for parents listening whose kids might be in the last couple of years of high school and are potentially really concerned about what the next few months holds? I feel kind of, uh, I suppose, I'm pleased to see that there has been some responsibility taken by um, our education department and the government to say that, you know, all school students in their final years of school will receive a leaving certificate, whatever that looks like for the different states and territories here in Australia. And I'm sure that's the case, you know, more broadly um, for students who are, you know, doing GCSEs in the UK or IB, depending on if they're an international school. So I'm feeling heartened by that. I don't think any students will be disadvantaged and not be able to make the jump to university or tertiary education if that's what they want to do. But I still don't think it makes it any easier Mm. because it's still not clear to students what they're going to need to do, how they're going to demonstrate their learning to meet whatever the requirements are going to change to be. So I know in some countries exams have just been canned entirely and they're using marks from previous years to kind of estimate where students are at and so that's one way of getting around it. But at the moment here, uh, our students don't have full clarity yet Mm -hmm. as to what it's going to look like, if it's going to be the same sense of external exams or, yeah. So I think as soon as that gets sorted out, I think students will be able to start figuring out what they need to do to get through that hurdle. Yeah. Um, But at the moment it's still a little unclear. So I guess is your advice um, as you're working with older students to just continue on with the work that you're being given as best you can and in the hope that over the next weeks we're going to get some clarity on where they land for the rest of the year? 
Absolutely. And for, for us, we're still, you know, doing all of our assessments uh, to the best of our abilities, like changing them to be on le- online learning and things like that. But uh, yeah, for students, it's just so important for them to keep doing what they're doing and keep moving forward to the end goal. Uh, and as always, even when they're at school, make a bit of a fuss if they don't understand where they're at or they need help because, you know, at home it's even harder for us as teachers to be able to go, oh, I can see you're struggling, let me help you because students are just behind that extra barrier. So it's it's so important for students and also their parents as well to let us know as teachers because the more we know, the more we can help, I feel anyway. That's always been my my attitude. More information is, is power. Yeah, that's such an important point, I think, because Looking back, thinking back to what I was like as a kid when I was 16, 17, trying to imagine myself in this situation, I think that I would have started to internalize all of the things that I was struggling with as some kind of failing, which is certainly not the case. And I think you're absolutely right that communication is so, so key for both students and parents. So, I mean, I know for me, the first couple of weeks of remote learning with my kids, I didn't want to bother the kids' teachers. You know, I didn't Mm. want to overwhelm them with messages saying, you know, he's struggling with this or this is really great, this is working well. What's what's your advice to parents who might be feeling similarly? Yeah, I, I don't want to speak for all teachers because sure. I know every, everyone's uh, had different experiences. But for me personally, I found I actually haven't found it to be ridiculously stressful. I, I had made an online uh, effort to digitize all of my resources in in the quest to print less actually because uh, I kept copying stuff from students about you know oh you printed this one miss it's not very good <laughs> for the environment you're a science teacher you know you need to be careful about that which is a hundred percent you know true uh, so you know I'd already started digitizing a lot of my stuff which had meant uh, I could put some of it online without too many changes but uh, at the same time, I, I do still understand that there have been lots of teachers who have had a really steep learning curve with a lot of the yeah. technology we're using to deliver this stuff online. Um, and I've certainly helped some senior teachers who are less tech savvy with making that change. But look, I just reckon at the end of the day, uh, we can all get a little bit stressed for a little while if it means kids' educations are going to continue um, in in the best shape possible. Personally, I think I can take the hit and have a few more emails uh, because the whole point of going into teaching is to help students. And so if you're sitting at home feeling a little bit less stressed with a few, you know, a few less emails in your inbox, um, but then there are kids and families of the students who are teaching at home who are just tearing their hair out because they don't know what's going on and how to how to get through this. uh, I wouldn't feel happy about that. So that's just my own personal view, but that that would be the way I would see that. That's a really helpful way of reframing it, actually. You know, you're teaching because of the love yeah. of teaching students and helping them to learn. So, Just send an email. I yeah. mean, it can always be ignored or yeah. gotten back to in a few days uh, yeah. if, if things are really dire. Um, but, yeah, I think that the, the channels need to stay open here yeah. as much as possible. So. I think that's really, really key information, key advice, actually. Let's say someone's listening. Well, let's say it's me. And... <laughs> Uh, you get to a point where the workload feels too much, both as a parent who is trying to manage and balance work with schooling and everything that comes with both of those things from home. Uh, and you've got a, a child who is perhaps overwhelmed as well by the amount of work that is coming out. 
Is there a way to distinguish things that that you can prioritize for your kids? You know, are there certain things that really should probably be at the top of our to-do list for schooling? And are there things that could potentially just fall to the wayside for a little while without too much harm being done? Absolutely. I think that's a really good question because uh, I know for a fact that a lot of teachers have been putting out uh, perhaps more work than is expected because they want to give parents the choice and have like a few different activities that kids could work through and choose. But if if it's not clear that there's a choice to be made there, then all of a sudden that list of work looks just incomprehensible. How am I supposed to get through this in a day? So I think I can't speak for for everyone, but I would I would definitely say that a quick email through to say, look, what are the top three things we need to be doing here? And getting clarity on that would be the way to navigate that one. Personally, mm-hmm. and this might be controversial, but I would say that the core subjects should be prioritised. So, you know, your English and maths, maybe a bit of science, history, geography, music, drama, if it's possible. But, you know, English and maths, I think, because the nature of those things is that they very much build upon each other. And so we need to kind of make sure that kids are progressing there as, as much as possible. And, yeah, so I think just naturally some things are going to have to get ditched because, with everybody trying to work, there's, there's going to be no chance for everybody to get a full work or school day in. It's just not possible. So I think we need to stop trying to make this impossible possible and instead just look at where we're at, look at what's possible, do the best that we can, um, tick off the things that are possible and then just let everything else fall away. Yeah. You heard it from a teacher, folks. <laughs> Just one teacher. Uh, you know, I am with you 100%. Yeah, it's it's been um, an interesting exercise for us as well to look at the list of, of assignments and, and activities coming home for the kids every day and to have conversations with the teachers about what we're going to prioritise, but also to understand that, the, some, like you said, sometimes the reason for such a, a huge amount of work in some cases is because there are there are many different types of learners, there are many different students and circumstances, and I think teachers are trying so hard to cater to all all of those, you know, in, in a way that is not particularly flexible in terms of what's delivered to everyone. So I think once I realised that there was also a, a quite an element of that at play and that there were certain things that, yes, we would prioritise. I let go of any guilt uh, around totally. around the rest of it. But importantly, so did the kids. And I think when you think about what uh, teachers are doing in the classroom normally, I mean, we're huge on uh, this thing called differentiation, where you know the different strengths and weaknesses of the students in your class. And so you're always tweaking maybe your base activity into five or six different versions to meet the needs of each student. Uh, but that's quite hard to do online. And uh, so maybe from a parent perspective, uh, I remember hearing this on a podcast that you you put out a while ago. Um, I can't remember who it was, but the reduce the scope but stick to the schedule idea is very much the case here. So, you know, if, if you've got a worksheet that a student needs to get through, maybe doing the first few questions and the last few questions and just ditching the middle questions if it's one of those worksheets that progresses and gets harder. That's still kind of going to get the same outcome, but it's just less grunt work. Mm. So, yeah, I think things like that or, or even maybe the, the work has been to to write a report. Instead, you know you, that your child hates writing and you're just never going to get through that. So maybe getting them to record it video style and sort of, you know, submit that instead. Like no teacher's going to go, oh, but it's not in the right form, <laughs> yeah. you know. 
it's whatever way you can get it done um, without it being soul-destroying, I think, is another thing because we've all got to come through this with our mental health and physical health vaguely intact, I think. (laughs) (laughs) That's the plan. That is the plan for everyone. Yeah, and I think, I mean, without making it sound like more work for parents, I think that thinking creatively about how we can perhaps encourage and engage our kids in some of these assignments or some of these tasks is really helpful as well. I've found that even just shifting where we're doing school helps, like going outside, going for a walk, looking for things, you know, that are relevant to what we're doing. I mean, one of one of my daughter's tasks in the last week of school was having a scavenger hunt in the yard and then making a sculpture out of the things that they find. Like, you know, that sort of stuff. I know that's obviously not going to apply to a kid doing the HSC, but just kind of thinking creatively. You know, our son recorded a news report on something that he was studying, like with a coffee cup and, you know, oh, thank you. Thank you, Archie. Moving on now. Uh, and, you know, I think that sort of stuff is, it's fun, A, for us because we don't have to sit there and make sure that they're writing the report or doing the PowerPoint or whatever. Um, but it's also a break in, in routine for them. Um, you know, and I think that we have the tools, most parents have the tools in terms of what's on our phones, what's on our laptops to allow kids to, to get a little creative. So I think that's also really um, good advice, but I don't, I hesitate to say that in a way that makes it sound like it's something parents need to add to their to-do list as well. No, I know what you mean. And I think that's part of why, um, teachers can be a really good resource here because I know, well, you know, for me personally, and us all in the science stuff where I work, we've been thinking of ways that we can get kids off screens and out there and doing the same sort of practical activities that we love to do in the class, but just not on school grounds. Mm -hmm. Because that's such a key part of keeping kids engaged is them doing things that they're just fundamentally curious about already. And I know how you said, oh, you know, it's not necessarily going to be right to send an HSC student, you know, final final year student uh, out on a scavenger hunt, but you'd be surprised. Like there are ways that you can do it. And I know teachers uh, will be coming up with these sorts of things. So yes, I agree, it shouldn't be on the parents to to come up with creative activities. But I'm hopeful that as we kind of get settled um, as teachers, we'll, we'll continue to start putting those sorts of things out. Like I had year 10 students take a walk around their local neighbourhood and make a displacement time graph of their journey. That could have been like a really boring worksheet but instead, you know, all you have to do is make a quick tweak and then it becomes an outdoor activity that they can enjoy, but you get the same learning outcome. Yeah. So that's kind of where we've got to head, I think, as teachers and parents combined. But mostly it's the teachers that need to be making the activities. That's our job. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's just a mindset shift totally. for anyone who's finding themselves having to, to grapple with all of this. Also, I think maybe for parents who want to make sure that they're doing the right thing by their kids understanding that the right thing can look lots of different ways. Like, yes, the right thing can sit down, can be sitting down for three hours on the laptop and working through the assignments. That's, that's one way of doing the right thing, you know, but there are, there are so many versions of that. And I think kind of flexing into that and, and allowing ourselves to be a little curious and creative in the multiple ways we can do that is important. But I think it also comes back to this idea of, of making sure we're not kind of doing the right thing to the detriment of our kids. You know, I know I'm, I grew up as a kid who always wanted to do the right thing and tick the box and get the gold star. And it's been an effort in unlearning that as a parent, because not one, like one size does not fit all, obviously. 
And I think one of our biggest roles as parents is to is to learn how to advocate for our kids. So if there's a parent listening who finds themselves in a position where they need to advocate for their child because whatever they're being asked to do is not working, is there a way as a teacher that you would like to see that communication happen, like that's mutually beneficial if a parent's looking for how do I do this? How do mm. I contact the teacher? What do I say? Mm. Yeah. Do you have any advice? Absolutely. I can I can think of how I would want that to come into my inbox because I think it would probably be best sent as an email at the moment. It's harder to guarantee times the teachers are going to be available to have phone calls given they're at home, they might have their own kids. You know, it's, it's quite difficult to pin people down to a particular time at the moment. So I would probably, if I were a parent, I would send it in the form of an email and I would explain what had been tried already at home and what the outcome of that was and looking for advice. Because I think whenever things aren't going well and we're looking to get help, the last thing we want to do is adopt like a blaming tone that never kind of uh, goes down too well. So I think the, the best emails that I've gotten from parents in the past have been ones of curiosity, you know, how do I make this work better? Uh, because I'm concerned, I'm seeing this, my child is doing this, this and this, or not doing this, this and this, this is the issue we have, what's your advice? And we can always come up with a plan together, you know, whether it's further check-ins with that student, more detailed feedback for that student, um, setting due dates for incremental things to be due rather than one thing at the very end, which gets overwhelming and they can't, you know, time it properly. Um, there, there are always strategies that we can we can implement, but I, I think it's really hard to do that if we don't have the full picture. So by parents just like giving giving all the information, that's the best way, I mm. think. Yeah, okay, that's really helpful. Um and I guess understanding, as we've been talking about the whole way through, that everyone is new to this as well. Like there's obviously the, the you know, the clear recognition that everyone's new to this, but also recognising that people in positions of authority or, you know, people who are, it's their job to come to you with a clear plan, they're mm. doing this for the first time as well. And I think that that's a really, that's an equaliser in in those kind of conversations. If everyone can come to the table saying, not entirely sure that this is working for us right now. Here's what we've tried. I'd love to know what else you'd suggest is sort of a very human way of having that conversation. Absolutely. And you can also get uh, the, the student involved as well without sort of making them the person who's the most stressed in it all. And the, I think that's that's been quite effective in the past too, where where the student and their parent have kind of sat down and talked about something and then they both come to you. Mm. I think that's great because then you feel like, yes, you know, united front, we're all on the same page. It's not parent going behind students back and, you know, they're not doing this, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's it's very much like we both see that there's a problem here and we're coming to you because we want your third opinion so that all three of us can work together. Um, I think that's that's it. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah, totally. Communication, that's the theme that's coming through yeah. strong and clear. Now, what about for families who possibly have multiple kids in school and they're struggling with even just the tech requirements? People at different schools who I've spoken to over the last few weeks are finding there's very different approaches based on the school. Some schools sort of have the expectation that kids are going to be able to sit in front of a screen for several hours at a time and work through their work. Others, not so much. For a family who might be struggling with that, do you have any advice on how to perhaps disengage from the screen and, and still continue doing the work that they need to? 
I have tried to put some activities on for my students that are screen free yeah. because I also recognise that being on a screen for that amount of time in a day is not healthy for a person. Uh, and that was some of the feedback that we got very early on from parents at the school that I'm working at, you know, like, yeah, it's going well, the kids are learning, but they've got square eyes at the end of the day, man. <laughs> like, you know, how can we how can we fix this? So, so yeah, I, I think just trying to put in activities in the day from a teaching perspective uh, that have no screens involved is ideal. I know I mentioned before about the printing thing, and I, I would love for there not to be any printing at a time like this, but I think if there is a family who doesn't have enough devices to go around, which is very, like, normal at this time when everybody's at home trying to get on the screens, printing stuff out so that kids can, you know, do work off the screen while someone else is using the screen and perhaps also planning who gets to use the screens and when. So if, you know, parents need to use it for an important call at a particular time, that's when students are doing their open-ended projects outside and then maybe later in the afternoon when the parents are doing other stuff that's when the kids are on doing their screen stuff that they really need their screens for I've also thought about you know devices that might be lying around that could be repurposed I know that's probably not the case but if for example you know you've got kids who have iPads that they use for you know games or leisure or whatever that are limited, maybe those now need to be repurposed into, you know, this is now my school device. And although it's not ideal, you know, for the interim, this is now your school device. And so, you know, you're opening your Google Docs, you're working through there, uh, you're basically using it like a laptop just for the meantime until things get back to normal, whatever that is. <laughs> Yeah, whatever the new normal is going to look like. Yeah, mm. and I think um, we've certainly been printing a lot more than I ever normally would have. And I find that for the kids, just being able to work offline is really good for them in terms of their engagement as well. They they just sit differently. They interact differently. Um, they seem to think differently when we're looking at pen and paper versus the screen. Uh, and I'm happy, obviously, to have a, a balance. We've also found... Um, we sat down and had a family meeting a couple of weeks ago to talk about what the schedule for the day would look like, um, mm. a school day. And I'm not big on schedules or routines, but I felt like some structure was really necessary, both in terms of, of what you were talking about with balancing tech use. Like Ben and I need our laptops for various things during the day. The kids need them for various things during the day. Uh, and we sat down and sort of worked out what we all felt was reasonable in terms of our expectations and we signed it. We each signed nice. it. And that made such a massive difference. I mean, not every day is going to follow that structure strictly, but it gives shape to the day. And when we say, guys, we need to go and record something or we've got work to do, they understand why we're saying that. It's, you know, mm. uh, and similarly, when we say, okay, it's time to come inside and we're going to do an hour's worth of schoolwork, they understand that that's what's happening and it's not the constant corralling and negotiating and you know it's yeah it, it has helped um in both of those ways now um I have a, a question that is a little bit it's definitely related but I have wanted to show the so show our support to the kids teachers and the school and I imagine that there are so many people listening who feel very similarly grateful and proud of the teachers who are turning up for their kids every day and want to show support as a teacher, what would 
help you the most in terms of families offering support to the school or offering support to individual teachers? Gosh, that's such a good question. And I'm not even sure I'm the best person to to ask that question because I feel like I don't have kids. So I'm not yet in a position where I'm, I feel extremely stretched. Um, that said, my, my husband's a doctor, so oh. we've been... Uh, <laughs> Man. He's, he's, he's been... Uh, he's been a little bit more stressed than me maybe but well, that said he's also he copes very well so we're we're okay um but gosh for, well, for me personally I just I love to get feedback um and I think it's it's I always make sure I write feedback to businesses or you know people that that do things for me that I really appreciate because I think we don't often enough tell the people who do things for us how much what they do means to us it goes unnoticed. So that would be something that I would I would strongly recommend. Just get on the phone or get on your laptop and send them an email that really explains just how much what they're doing means to you. I know uh, the school across the road from us where we live, which is a primary school, they um, put together like a little initiative for uh, getting the teachers like a lunch on the last day of school. So I think because the teachers are still on campus even though students are being asked to stay at home. So all teachers are still kind of more or less uh, on campus in, in all the state schools anyway where, where we are. So perhaps looking into something like that or even just like a, you know, pay it forward coffee type fund for, for teachers uh, that they could maybe use when everybody's back on campus if the school is closed. Uh, little things like that where you can see a communities come together and, and you know, put something by for, for teachers is also a nice way of doing it. I just remember seeing that and thinking, oh, that's that's a nice way of, of acknowledging it as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's that's very helpful, I think, because I know a lot of people are looking to um, offer support. I know we gave a like a round of coffees to the kids' school yeah. in the last couple of weeks, I think just before the schools kind of went remote. And that sure. was well received, I think. Oh, absolutely. Caffeine, it's chocolate. things like that, yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> but I think also it's it's like maybe this is cheesy, I don't know, but I, I just feel like the, the reason that I went into teaching was to make the difference and now it, more than ever it's the time to kind of step up and make that difference. And so you kind of like it's almost like, you know, thank you for doing your job, like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's sort of just, yeah, we, we're just doing our job. Like that's the that's the point. We're getting paid to do our job, which we chosen because we care about it. So you kind of almost don't really need to be thanked any more than, than normal because you're just doing your job. Yeah, that's not cheesy. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, just doing the job. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm glad that we've got people like you in, you know, helping our kids uh, through such a a weird time, such a challenging, strange time. So I just want to say thank you for making yourself available to have this conversation. It's been truly so helpful, Good. you know, for me personally, I know it for a heap of people listening, but also thank you for caring so much about the kids that you teach. It, it means a, a huge amount and I've never been more grateful for, for what teachers do and why they do it. So Sarah, thank you. No worries at all, Brooke. It's been a pleasure to chat to you and I really appreciate your time as well and your podcast more broadly because it's made a big difference to my life. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Who is that? Hi, podcast.